I've preached this chapter, I honestly don't know how many times. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, several, I mean, lots of churches, several churches I've preached this sermon. Uh, it changes every time I do it, because that's just how it is. I never, I never reference my old notes and just start over with the, with the text, Mark Batten. <laughs> Say that for you. Start with the text. Um, and uh, then uh, and see where the Lord see where the Lord leads me and uh, with that but I I do want to I want to give you this this pitch for yourselves Um, find a chapter in the Bible that speaks to you and live in it for 15 years Um, because you will you will find your soul constantly being surprised, um, as I was again Friday morning in this. Um, somebody asked me this morning when was the first time I preached on this, and uh, I remember where I was, somewhere in North Austin, um, but it was at least uh, 13 or 14 years ago, and uh, and it's continued to be one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, it is not the Palm Sunday, typical Palm Sunday sermon. Uh, it turns out that some in the Christian traditions, the Orthodox Church for one, uh, they celebrate yesterday, Saturday, before Palm Sunday, as Lazarus Saturday. And, uh, and I have prayed and asked the Lord multiple times, like, okay, when can I preach John 11 at Hope Rock? And, uh, and it what? Yeah, Saturday. I'll do it on a Saturday. Thanks. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so finally, as we were, you know, talking through and, and uh, deciding what to do with Easter, and I was praying, and it was just like finally released to, uh, to bring this to y'all because it's just my favorite. And, and so I'm super excited about everything that there is to learn. And, and I'm going to just go straight up on this. Um, since the last time I preached this sermon, um, there's been celebration in my life and there's been loss and devastation. And, uh, and it just happens. Um, and this sermon, it, so I, I don't want you to feel like that I'm going to be flippant with this because there's just a lot here. Um, and there's some, there's some powerful, hard things that we need to see. Um, we honestly, um, we have two ways to look at our circumstances. Uh, we can look at it through the wisdom of the world, or we can look at it through the light of the gospel. I mean, and, and sometimes looking at it through the light of the gospel is desperately hard. Desperately hard. And there's sometimes when you're asked to believe that you can't, and it's hard to believe. And so then you get in those situations where somebody, like I can tell you that I, had a, I have a friend, well, some of you all know him, uh, Charles Graham. He's been here before um, when I was going through some super hard stuff, and uh, we were talking on Southwest Parkway. He wasn't on Southwest Parkway, but I was. And, uh, and he's just telling me, Lord, you know, Charlie, I just believe this. I believe that God is going to do this, you know, through your life. And my response to him was, Charles, I believe that you believe that. And right now, that's all I've got. 
and uh, and it was enough. Sometimes, anyway, I'm already like five pages into my notes and I haven't even started. Um, I will warn you, I'm sorry, I've got nine pages. Usually I try to make it seven. Eh, okay, but I did cross out almost a page, so we'll see. Um, but let me just tell you this. Um, none of us wants a Savior, okay, who is unable to enter our pain. Nor do we want a Savior who is aloof. And we certainly do not want a Savior who is not in control when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Let me just set the, the table with that. And then we'll look at cast of characters in this story um, because there's some characters. And, uh, and probably at some point in your life or in your life, uh, you're one of these. Um, most of us are the disciples because we're kind of dull, but we'll see. So we got uh, in order of appearance, the cast of characters in order of appearance, we have Lazarus, who is the ultimate hopeless cause. And some of us have hopeless causes in our lives, and we think the Lord will never change things. Then we have Mary, the sacrificial worshiper. Mary and Martha, who had a devotional understanding of Jesus. And if you're like, what do you mean by that? Um, some people in the church never just spend time soaking in the Word. They depend on devotions. You know, so you get one scripture and somebody else's seven paragraphs, and that's as good as it gets. And I just want to encourage you beyond that, um, because soaking in the word and allowing the spirit to wash over you is awesome. Mind you, let me just next say I love some devotion books. I have a few that I really that I go to. They're mostly dead guys, but. Um, <laughs> Because I like the dead guys, because they kind of been there, done that, got the harp. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's not in the notes. Um, so we had Mary and Martha, the devotional understanding. We have Jesus, who demonstrates his love for us in glorious ways. Then we have the disciples, not the brightest bulbs in the pack. Um, then we have Thomas. Good old Doubting Thomas is who we're talking about here. That He had religious zeal and tiny faith. Um, we had the crowd who just wanted to know why a good God lets bad things happen. And then we have the Pharisees who were ready to destroy anyone in their way regardless of their miracles. And then we have you. Um, we're either walking in darkness or we're in the light of Jesus in the Word of God. Um, you know, when Friday morning I woke up, uh, I don't know, five o'clock ish, and and I'm like, Lord, I am missing something in this text, in this chapter. I am missing something. I don't know what it is, and uh, and and of course the and the other thing was, and I don't have a prop. <laughs> I need an illustration. Come on, man. You know, because I just can't do it without, you know, that. And and the Lord, um, Holy Spirit, after a cup of coffee, um, showed me that I've skipped, every time I've preached this, I have skipped over probably the uh, main verse. 
in this whole text. I'm like, oh, I'm really dumb. Uh, disciple, yeah, not the brightest bulb in the pack. Um, and it's, it's the key to the whole miracle. Honestly, when this all boils down, this is the key to the whole text. Um, I was reminded that everything Jesus did and taught, he did it with the disciples' learning in mind. What everybody else caught from it, he was like, sure, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm glad you all caught that. But he always spoke intentionally and did intentionally for the goal of training these disciples and teaching them and giving them the mission so that they could move forward. And, uh, and so it's really important. And that's the part I always skipped is like the whole his conversation with the disciples in this. And so I'm going to start with it um, to make up for all the times that I preached it without it. Um, so in John 11 is where we are today, the m- most of John 11. Uh, there's around 50 verses, and I'll go verse by verse, word by word, um, until Marco gets back um, <laughs> from South Africa. Um, then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going to go there again? That's typical dull disciples, right? Oh, no, it's going to be dangerous. Ah. Um, And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. Who did Jesus say he was? Yeah, light of the world. Thank you. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So we have two options here. Uh, There's only two ways you can view any circumstance. There's only two. Jesus gave them right there in those verses. Either you see things clearly by walking by faith in the light of Christ, or you squint in the dark on your own. I mean, that's that's all we get. Um, You know, you can stumble through the darkness if you like, and try to depend on you know human wisdom and gut it up and you know. But sometimes things are so dark that you know you're like. My only hope is, is a light. I need a light. I need a light outside of myself, and that would be Jesus. Correct? Yes, it is. It's Jesus outside of myself is my only way that I can get through anything. So, and after saying these things, in verse 11, he said, um, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. <laughs> because they're really bright, right? If he's asleep, he'll wake up. <laughs> That's And Jesus is like, okay. And Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Um, first of all, let me just say this, that um, there was no internet, there was no TV, there was no nothing, there was nobody calling, there wasn't anybody speaking in his ear except maybe the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, Jesus knew Lazarus was dead. Okay? I mean, he knew what this whole story was going to be. He already knew what was happening. And he said, but for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe because belief and knowing who Jesus is is more important than our circumstance. Isn't it? Maybe. Sometimes it's really hard to accept that statement. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, Sometimes I struggle with that and say, but 
I would really like to be comfortable. You know, I would really not like not to have that hanging over me right now. Really, I would. Um, <laughs> but Jesus is the light, and his perspective is the only perspective that really matters. Jesus spoke to them, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he turned around and inspired David centuries before to say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And the whole Gospel of John starts out with, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Right? All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was the light of life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't overcome it. I'm going to tell you, dark nights of the soul come and they happen, and our only hope is the light of Jesus. Um, and he's like, why are we doing this on Palm Sunday? I will tell you, because this miracle, I think, was maybe the last miracle Jesus did before they crucified him. It was the miracle that galvanized the religious leaders against him. They said, oh, we got to stop him. This is really out of hand. And so this was the one that sent Jesus to the cross so that he would be resurrected on our behalf so that we could have light in the darkness. So it's really pretty awesome. Um, so when Jesus told his disciples, Lazarus is asleep, he was speaking light in the darkness right? He always speaks light, but the darkness doesn't always comprehend it. And sometimes we have darkness even in our way, our thinking, the way that we think, and, uh, and we miss out. That's how it is. Um, the disciples responded from the darkness, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. And they, <laughs> because they weren't listening to Jesus. They were only hearing the words that he spoke. Um, yeah, we all need the light of the world, right? To light our path we need the very word of god which is why again i say find you a chapter and just soak in it or if you like to barbecue marinate in it for a while mm. and then smoke it <laughs> and then invite me over to eat it because um, it's a brisket um oh yeah thanks mark for nothing um anyway mark smokes briskets all the time apparently um <laughs> Yeah, so I've heard and smelled. All right, so we'll start. Here we go. So, John 11, verse 1. A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Can I just pause there? I'm sure it's in my notes somewhere, but I can't help it right here to say that Real encounters with Jesus in the darkest nights of our soul will lead us to become incredible worshipers. And I'm going to count this one. If you struggle with worship, it's probably because you haven't encountered Jesus. That's just how that is. So, but anyway, that's not here. Um, the light reveals God's love for us and his glory so that you can believe. This is maybe my favorite part in this, other than, okay, Lazarus, come forth. Okay, that was nice too. Um, 
So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, Well, this illness doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But here's the deal. If you do the math, Lazarus was dead at this point. Okay, because it took those guys about a day or so to reach him. And, uh, and then by the time Jesus gets to him, after he waits two days um, and probably took a day to get back, he gets there and it says that Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. So just so you know, I think it's pretty safe to assume uh, that when Jesus said that to these guys, the messengers who thought, oh, Lazarus is he's sick, so let's go. Jesus, come help him. And um, he said this illness doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God. He was probably already dead. But look at this, next verse, verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So we start, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, and in the middle of it was the glory of God. Glory of God sandwiched between the love of God for you and the love of God for you. And in the middle of that is our circumstance for the glory of God. But it's not always easy. But if you forget that on this side, on the front end, and on the back end is the love of God for you, yeah, you won't. You won't make that. So you've got to know that in the middle of your darkness, the love of God is here, and the love of God is here, holding up your arms so that you can worship. So... Oh, I knew I was going to get all weepy. Doggone it. <sighs> well, the most loving thing God can do in your life is to display his glory in your circumstance. It is the most loving thing he can do because that is the place that you will find the most joy. There is no higher love or greater joy than to be used as an instrument of God's glory. And here's a question for you. Is the glory of God displayed in your life enough, even when it hurts badly? Is that enough? Is that a good enough goal to have the glory of God displayed in you? So when Jesus heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Does that sound like love? Not from our perspective. Jesus, help me now. You know, and uh, it says, he said, this doesn't end in death, it's cool. And so he stayed two days, and then those guys went back, and they told Mary and Martha, but when they got back with the message from Jesus, this doesn't end in death, he was dead. And so they're like, well, that dude you sent us to said it doesn't end in death, but I guess he was wrong, right? And so now they're all wondering what's going on, yeah. But sometimes the most loving thing for Jesus to do is to wait, and you have to be content to know that he loves you. Yeah. Gotta wonder what those guys, those messengers thought when they came back. Uh, yeah, well, um, yeah, so, okay, well, very good. <laughs> Next. When every circumstance around you seems hopeless and Jesus seems to be waiting to arrive, can you trust that his love is enough and that his glory is greater than your need? The disciples heard Jesus say this doesn't end in death. And then 
Jesus said he's asleep. And they said, hey, let's go. He said, let's go. And they said, yeah, but, you know, if you do that, uh, it's going to be really ugly for us. And uh, they're going to try to stone you. And he said, you know, Lazarus has died, right, for your sake. I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Um, I really think that we're just not going to see life truly until we see it through the eyes of Jesus. I mean, we can see things, you know, and say, oh, yeah, I'm super smart. I've got a lot of wisdom. I've got experience, the eyes of experience. Um, the eyes of Jesus are better than your eyes of experience, straight up. Um, and increasing the faith of his disciples and Mary and Martha was more important than preventing the death of Lazarus. Jesus takes us where we are, and he gives us more light to believe. So let's look at Thomas real quick. Um, I always, I've always skipped O Thomas, bless his heart, but not today. So Thomas called the twin, also the guy we called Doubting Thomas, because, you know, he made himself really famous by saying, I won't believe Jesus is risen from the dead until I see his hands and feet. You know, and then Jesus showed up, remember that, and said, hey, Thomas, you want to touch? He's like, oh, no, it's good. <laughs> you know, that was his response. Okay, okay, yeah, fine, fine, got it. I'm, I'm with you, I'm tracking. Um, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Because... I think Thomas, in his head, recalled back to David's account of when Bathsheba's son died. David fasted, and he prayed, and he fasted, and he prayed, and he fasted, and prayed, and everybody was like, oh, no, oh, no. And then when finally he realized that he was dead, David cleaned up and said, okay. And they looked at him and was like, why aren't you fasting and praying and mourning now? And he said, he said this very thing. He said, I will go to him but he's not coming to me. And he worshiped. And I think Thomas probably was like, yeah, Jesus said he's dead. And, uh, and so I don't, <laughs> Thomas doesn't really believe in resurrection, obviously. Um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't go that far. Um, so he probably thought, well, all right, we're going to go see Lazarus. Let's go do it. And so off he went to go see Lazarus with the disciples. Um, now Jesus came and he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days the Jews believed it took three days for the soul really to be gone you know it's like okay after three days <laughs> it's really over now you know and so we got four days and Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off it says and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated at the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that's true. Maybe. Maybe not. You know, because Jesus said this doesn't end in death, but it's for the glory of God. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to her. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. Most texts say again, except that again's not in there. He just says, your brother will rise. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. This is, I think, maybe one of my favorite parts. Um, you know, Mary, I mean, Martha is telling Jesus what the Bible says. 
<laughs> you know, it's like, let me, you know, I went to school. I went to Sunday school. I heard uh, poor Martha um, telling Jesus what he means. Of course, we would never do that, right? We would never tell Jesus what he means. We just tell him what we want and what we demand um, in spite of his intention. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He just took it to a whole nother level, right? This is next level stuff. It's the main point of the whole thing because this is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus says, if you believe in me, you shall never die. Though you die, you will live. It's the main point. It's the gospel. Is there anything more important than knowing your future secure in Christ? Is it enough knowing that your future is secure in Christ? So Martha said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. I believe, honestly, that Mary believed, but she didn't fully understand what she was saying. And I'm there, and you're there. Let's just be honest. We want to believe, and sometimes our belief is here. And we're talking about an infinite Savior. Okay, Jesus who spoke the world into existence, took on flesh, became a man, dwelt among us, then took our sin, and then rose again. That Jesus, we're all, you know, we kind of have these images sometimes. Um, and I'm gonna, just going to tell you that Jesus says, I'm going to take you from here, and I'm going to take you to here, and, and to here, and to here, and to here. And I will tell you that we will spend eternity being taken higher, 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 higher. And right now, let's just be content, even when it hurts, to know that Jesus has taken us higher. Because that's a good place to be taken. It's sure better than being taken lower. So Mary and me <laughs> don't always fully understand what Jesus is up to. And then, because... Well, Martha, Martha, Amy, Mary, Martha, both of them, because right after Martha, then Mary um, came along and said the same thing. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he said, I know, I know. Okay, let's recount again. And so they did and recounted and away they went. And then uh, they went to the tomb. The resurrection of Lazarus um, also reveals the compassion of Christ, even in the face of those who mock. Because they did. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her, Mary, also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then everybody's favorite verse to quote, Jesus wept, because it's easy to remember. You know, if you have to memorize a verse, there it is. Um, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? 
Can you hear that? Questioning God in his compassion at that moment. Do you hear that? If he loved him, couldn't he have stopped it? You know, where is God when it hurts? And why didn't he do what I want him to do? Um, how can a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, first of all, there's not any good people. Um, there are saved people, and then there's unsaved people. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure I've never questioned God's love for me. <laughs> ever. Except for all the places that I wrote in the margins of my Bible. Uh, Lord, where are you right now? Um, um, then Jesus deeply moved again in verse 38. He came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. I love this picture as we lead into Easter, right? And Jesus standing in front of a stone that has not yet been rolled away, knowing that soon it'll happen again. So the resurrection of Lazarus calls us never to give up on the hopeless, depend on tradition, or live in isolation. Oh, wow. I have five minutes and 48 seconds. Um, so we get there. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. You know, it was forbidden by Jewish law to get within six feet of the entrance of a tomb. You don't do that. And Jesus told all these Jews standing around, including Mary and Martha, hey, um, why don't you roll that stone away? And they're like, well, we can't do that from distance. <laughs> He's like, I know, you're going to have to get up there and challenge your religious notions and roll the stone away. Uh-oh. Now he's meddling. Um, Jesus asked them to lay aside their religious understanding so that a dead man could live. How many people do you think it took to move the stone? I wonder that. I wish I could. I knew exactly how big the stone was, but I don't. But I looked it up. Google. Google knows things. Um, I didn't ask ChatGPT, though, Ryan. Um, anyway. On average, they believe that a stone that was used to cover tombs back in this day would have weighed 2,700 pounds. Okay? So let me just take, you know, the strongest two ladies in the room and ask you if you can roll a 2,700-pound stone uphill because typically that's what they did. They put it in a trench that rolled down in front of the opening, you know, so now you're going to, he says, take the stone away. So you're going to go and push the stone up the incline and then chalk it. And so I'm pretty sure that um, when Jesus said, take away the stone, he didn't just mean Martha and Mary. He probably looked at the room and said, you guys here, move that. And, and so, you know, I'm sure the big guys said, I can do this, <laughs> you know. And so they got all the big guys to go down and defile themselves religiously. So now they can't go and sacrifice to the Lord. 
That's what they had to do. Are they willing to give up their ability to go to temple? Um, he said, that's what you're going to have to do. Here's a question. Could not he who spoke the world into existence have spoke the stone out of the way? Yep, he could have, except that he wants the community to be involved in the miracle and the glory and the healing when we struggle, doesn't he? Miracles of God happen in community when we'll set aside our religious notions and get close to people. Yeah. Jesus knew that another stone would soon be rolled away. He would roll that one. Yeah, nobody else but him. Or some angels or somebody. Or he didn't really need it to be rolled away for that matter. They just rolled it away so we'd know that he was gone. Right? So, anyway, Jesus said to her, after she said, it's going to really be bad. He said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You know, she's like, well, I guess, sure, maybe. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of these people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Have you heard believe several times through the scripture, by the way? Because that's what we struggle with when we're hurting. Belief. We do. We struggle. And he said, I've said this again so they can believe. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Another religiously nasty thing. They're not allowed to touch dead things that have touched dead things. You touch those linen strips and you're unclean ceremonially again. Isn't that awful? And he said, unbind him and let him go. And he calls us, he calls us, to unbind each other because we all carry stuff that maybe has wrapped us up and tripping us. And he calls us to work in community and unbind each other. Isolation never, never brings a miracle. Never does. Get close enough to smell the stink. Yeah, because you can't remove it from a distance. Obey Jesus. Remove the grave clothes. Do it in community, folks. So, in conclusion, do you believe this? Do you believe in the power of the resurrection? Do you have circumstances that have caused you to wonder where Jesus is? I have. And if you don't, you will, just so you know. Um, maybe you're doubting the love of God for you now. You ever felt like your circumstance has succeeded Jesus' ability to act? 
It doesn't. It's for the glory of God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We're not meant to suffer alone. 